Welcome back, everybody, to the Monster Baby Podcast. My name is Ted DeMaison. I am Lisa Roland, this and is this is a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. And today we have a very special guest. We are joined by Dan Klein, who feels like an improv sibling to to both Ted and I, because we sort of come from come from the, a similar a similar background and lineage, and we'll go into that a little bit in the conversation. Dan is an improv practitioner out in the world. He does a lot of applied improvisation. He is taught improv-based, he's a lecturer here at Stanford, mm-hmm. and he's taught improv-based workshops and and classes in seven, like across the university. Yeah. The seven of the eight schools here at, at Stanford University. And the eighth is only because it just started this year. He hasn't gotten to it yet. That's right. And he's got a, a unique blend of, sort of delight in the, the mechanics of improv theater like he's done a lot of performance himself he's also in an academic setting and then has a lot of tentacles is probably too nefarious a word but like branches that reach out into the corporate settings and and, uh, workplace settings and so he's got a lot of neat ways to bring in the insights of the impact of improv yeah Um, and then later on in the conversation towards the end we we asked him about uh, the role of mindfulness in his life and got some interesting 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 answers there as well. So. Yeah, Dan Klein is a total delight to talk to. So we hope you enjoy listening in on this conversation. As much as we did enjoy listening in on the conversation. <laughs> Glad you're with us. Welcome back and uh, let's get to it. We're operational. This Death Star is now operational. <laughs> Do you know that reference, Lisa? <laughs> no. no. I mean, I get that it's from Star Wars. Yes. Oh my gosh. I get that. Yeah. Because the Death Star. It was the big threat. The big threat was the Death Star was a device, a space station that I... could kill planets, uh-huh. destroy them. And that was the big threat they were building. If they get it operational and we're in trouble, that was the line. The Death Star is now operational. Oh, got it. Great. Yeah. And it came sooner than, than they expected. Yeah. And it's the planet of Alderaan, Princess Leia's home planet. Uh-huh. Destroyed. Got it. So. Thank you. Snuffed out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. For the Did you say snuffed out? Yeah. Yeah. That was the <laughs> line. There was a great disturbance in the force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all coming together. All of the <laughs> references, they're all coming together now that I've heard forever. It, I have seen Star Wars. I was going to ask. It's I not that you've never it. seen it. It's just that you didn't store it, it like word for word. I'm your, not a Star Wars person. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah, you're all Star Trek. That's your thing. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten. That's right. You're like... Yeah, total Trekkie. Yeah. Or pure Trekkie. I have seen just at least seven episodes for, of Star Trek. For the listeners... Um, Lisa is wearing the Spock ears, a Vulcan, and she's been and she's doing the sign. That's the hand signal. It's yep. Wednesday. That's so <laughs> it's Spock Day. Pen. It's Vulcan Enterprise, Day. Enterprise pin on the lapel. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it actually it makes sense to me. I'm just sort of noticing now uh, that Dan and I would have a shared Star Wars reference mm-hmm. because we're kind of the same vintage. Yeah. Yeah. I went to see but before the new Star Wars came out. I want to say my dad took me to see Star Wars because all of the old ones were yeah, re-released. Yeah, they, re- they re-released them. And so I'm sure I saw the first one, but I, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I missed the Star. I'm, I am not a. I don't. I'm, I missed it. I, I, you know, I was somewhere between seven and nine years old, standing in line at the at, in the Hollywood, like, man's Chinese theater to see Star Wars when it first 
when it first opened. The original. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, this is 1977, so I was nine years old. And it came out, I was living in Keene, New Hampshire, and we had, you know, a local cinema. But I remember the line being, like, around the building into the parking lot of the shopping center. and mm-hmm. It was a huge deal. Huge, big deal. The film broke um, after the Death Star blew up, um, and they and Spoiler. it broke. My mom got the uh, our money back, <laughs> which is a Klein family tradition. If there's any problem with the movie at all, right. get your money back. You and get my, your money my back. dad do it so many times, mm-hmm. um, but uh, his rule is like you, you have to be ready to not see the rest of the movie. You have to be able to walk out on principle. Yeah. So he's prepared yeah. you. Yeah. This is the mindset that is necessary yeah. to fulfill the yeah. Klein family mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, way. Well, this is reminding me of when I saw Hamilton on Broadway and there was the shooter scare. Oh. And it happened right as Burr was doing his finale. Oh. You know, like saying, and it, was one. it was me, oh. I did it, I'm the bad guy. And then there was a, interrupted the show. Everybody ducks down in the seats, and we're all terrified. People are running out. And, yeah, and then we had to wait. And eventually, they did come back and finish the show. They came, went back a few minutes and replayed a little bit. Did you demand your money but I back? Did not, no, which <laughs> I should have. Of course, of course. What I didn't pure, pay for a shooter scare. What a pure modern moment to be to have like Hamilton interrupted by an active shooter mm-hmm. scare. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. It was in you know, Times Square, all like all of Broadway, just people emptied out in the streets. I was like, actually, you shouldn't empty into the streets. It was bad. That's going to be a scene in the holographic um, VR rendition of um, De Maison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the life of De Maison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be uh, riveting. That would be a, that would be a moment. Yes. That would be a moment. Yeah. That's so, kind of an interesting question. What are the moments that get yeah. memorialized in your yeah. in the in the mm. musical of your life? What There's are the moments that get recreated generations later? Yeah. Well, cool. somebody could go to my computer and find a document. I have a spreadsheet for my whole family with like year to year. What are the what really the things that popped for that year? Or like wow, what was a big moment or what was a big theme? Or, yeah. So it's all there. Man, spreadsheet people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Just, That's great. Mm-hmm. A, a, a chronicle. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa and I were just an hour ago talking to someone who keeps a spreadsheet of all of the like, punk rock band names that pop up spontaneously <laughs> in, in conversation. In conversation that they could then go back. Oh, yeah, I remember wow. that one. Yeah. So, okay, that leads me to the question. Uh, name me three punk rock band names that have not ever been made yet. Um, uh, Godsmacker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I doing it by yeah, myself? For, it's, we're we're going to improvise. Can we all one. do three? I'm going to do one. Okay. Is uh, Tuna Core. <laughs> C-O-R-P-S. Oh, oh, core. Nice. Tuna Core. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Drop Me. Mm. Oh, yeah, great. So there, there they are. That's three. Yeah. Uh, skull Knuckle. <laughs> You're playing hard on the case. It's really good. It's good. It's a deal. Yeah. Punk punk rock Uh has lots of K's Uh in there. Yeah. Okay. Metal bucket. (laughs) Metal metal bucket. It's just. (laughs) It's kind of what it is. Just an object. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Something you can kick. Yeah. Uh, Um. Um. Yeah. No. I don't. I'm. Like so, I want to say something like like a devil grab, Ooh. De- mm. sure, or mm. something, yeah, along those lines. But that seems a little bit too sensical. <laughs> this one doesn't totally work, but 
Bubble Lupus. Bubble Lupus. <laughs> Punk Rock. Band. I don't know. Like, does it totally work? Like a wolf. I was going, yeah, yeah. Like lup- Bubble Lupin? Bubble Lupin? Bubble Lupus? Well, Lupin's a purple flower. Or Lupus, like oh, the yeah. autoimmune disease, which I think is also yeah, a powerful a, choice. Oh, interesting. Bubble Lupus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, so punk rock bands. Great. Yeah. There they are. Also reaching back into the into the mid-70s. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I will turn our turn our attention as much as I hate to do it. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, mm-hmm. thanks. Wait, yeah, great. Have you started? This is a thing? Oh, this is all. Oh, we're all we're it's all already, on. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, that's a there. microphone. Yeah, that's right. That's what. Welcome to yes. Oh. Ta-da! <laughs> the big reveal. You've been somebody we've talked about having on the podcast for a while. So you know, here it is, Dan Klein, the famous, the now famous, the story, infamous, yeah, nefarious, yeah. Dan it Klein. does feel like you're sort of family because we oh. all share a. Yeah, we really do. We all share a an yeah. improv heritage. Yeah, there's a lineage that we're. Yeah. We're we're if if not siblings, definitely cousins. Yeah, sort of close, on branches close, of the same close tree. Cousins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a great. Um, we just had a reunion of uh, of the Stanford improvisers. Ted, uh, Ted and I were both there, mm-hmm. and we get to see a slice every year. You get to see like the 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 every five years, and that and it's you know it's now extending mm-hmm. deep into the. Um, uh, now deep into the annals of history, we've got multiple, multiple slices, yeah. and it's really fascinating. We need a spreadsheet to we keep track. Yeah. It, it is, you know, we're and we're all descended from Patricia Ryan Matson. I think of you two yeah. as the uh, what's disciples. The, the guardians, the disciples, yeah. the disciples that yeah. who are torchbearers is probably the word I'm looking yeah. for. Right? Like yeah. the, you've taken her work and made it your own, but it's like okay, improv at Stanford. Yeah. Right now it's Dan, Lisa, like, and yeah. there's all these other people here, doing it in different places in different ways. Probably ten or twelve of us. It's true. In different branches or arms of the university. Yeah. Spreading the same message. And yeah. So, do you think of yourself as a torchbearer? Y- yeah. I mean, I I think I do. And I haven't used that image in my head, but it's exactly that. In a sense, I feel like that's the thing that gives me courage. To stand up in front of big crowds uh, is that I'm I'm just carrying a message. I'm passing I'm passing something on that gave me that gave me um, a lot of delight and joy and and meaning in my life. And to be able to share that with other people that sounds really religious. <laughs> that sounds like a spiritual thing. That's not what I mean. Well, it, isn't it though? It's a, yeah, in many ways, of course. I, of course I, I don't mean is. to say it's 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 religious as in setting rules for people, but in terms of meaning making. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and and the idea that 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 this is of value to people, like I know personally, but I also know from how many people have shared that this had meaning and value to them. Mm-hmm. And the more that I, the more that I know that, the more, yeah, as a torchbearer, someone who can continue, we we have we have a few, you know, there's the concepts of of improvisation, of saying yes, of being present in the moment, of respond, responding to what's actually there, making your partner look good. And then there's also, and then there's the figure of, of Patricia Ryan Matson, who of course has given us personally so much value and benefit and, and meaning and to be able to carry her specific legacy mm-hmm. is a great honor. Mm-hmm. She also talks about, I've heard her talk about it in terms of having received this gift right. of this way of right. meeting the world and seeing things and sort of generosity and openness, curiosity, collaboration, and that it's flown, it, it has flowed through her 
into her students and that it is the greatest gift to see it flow on. And so it feels like a great gift to me that I get to be exactly. a, a vessel is sort of a word that she uses. Mm-hmm. And again, I know it so easily crosses right, over right. into sort of like religious proselytizing, right. right. which I don't feel like it is, but it is something that's like, hey, this this is this is a way to be that is sort of refreshing mm. and and connective. Mm-hmm. And so those are basic things that feel they feel good for the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think about that and that her thing was, you you have this now. I hope to empower you to pass it on if right. you wish. If you want to bring this to new organizations or com- communities or play things that you're a part of, I want to empower you to do that so that learning improv was, teaching improv was always part of the learning it for her. Right. She said, if you want to learn more about a particular part of improv, teach a workshop on it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you'll and then you'll learn more. Mm-hmm. Teach the things that you have questions about, which I love. That was always sort of a part of her mm-hmm. thing. Was that yeah. the the teaching the teaching is a is a part of the learning? Yeah, she said there are three there are three ways to learn this. One is you know in the classroom and more, um, and just sort of studying about it, and then one is by performing it. Like it doesn't matter what you learn. If you if you don't do it and you have to be on stage in front of a live oh audience, God, it's such a difference. Yeah. And then the third part is teaching. And she said, in each of those three phases, there's things you can get that you can't get in the other two. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to be complete, you got to do all three. Mm-hmm. The image that's coming to mind for me is that it's like a song. I haven't heard Patricia talk about it, what you just said about her feeling like she was a vessel for something else, mm-hmm. some message. But it's like she heard a song mm-hmm. and she played it, and you know, we're sort of some of us who come here and our students and we're walking by looking through the course catalog, what are we going to take? We hear the song, we hear echoes, and it's like, ooh, that's resonating with my instrument, my body and my spirit as an instrument. Like, yeah. I like that song. And it's a song that makes me want to dance, you know, or have fun and like connect with other people who are uh-huh. digging the same tune. Uh-huh. And then we carry that tune and then say, hey, people, check out this tune I just learned. Yeah. And it, it draws them in, you know, it's got that, that joyous feel to it. Yeah. But it's not about the first person who no. we heard it from. It's about the song itself. And that that feels so improv to me because right. nothing, everything is sort of oral tradition. We got everything from someone else. We, we made adjustments to it in the way that makes sense in the moment and then pass it on. And then somebody else thinks that you created it. But it all, we're just, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. adding things to this huge tradition of of teaching and engaging and playing. Yeah. And it, it's sort of lovely that you, that there's not a lot of ownership yeah. over this content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really nice. There, it, it, it pushes back against this sort of scarce, scarcity. Right. Whose is this? How do I, like, where are the boundaries around what's yours and what's mm-hmm. mine? And well, mine's different yeah. enough yeah. from yours to say that it's not the same thing. And there's this generosity of like, yeah, there's a lot of improv in the world. Let Take it, teach it. I'm Take a, it, teach it, pass it on. Let's do it. It reminds me of a lesson I learned right out of right out of college. I went to I was doing a lot of stuff with bats, and I was working with Rebecca Stockley, who was one of our uh, another one of our heroes. Patricia mm-hmm. required that we go see improv shows at bats, and we bats was, is an improv company in San Francisco. In San Francisco and, and uh, Bay Area Theater Sports at the time, and uh, and you know Rebecca was on stage and was the dean of the school, and I started working and teaching you know TAing with with Rebecca. Um, actually, I think this came up when uh, eventually Rebecca left being the dean and I took over as the dean. So I'd, I'd been out of school for a little while. And there was a there was a improviser 
uh, a group of improvisers who had been players in the workshop company. They were student players, and they were they were now teaching their own classes mm -hmm. separate from the school. And I was very I was like, oh no, are they they're teaching? And Rebecca said, more improv is more improv. Yeah. And that's been a great mantra because mm -hmm. there's so much and there's so many opportunities to share this and other people doing it is not a threat. Mm -hmm. it, it makes more people curious and interested. It doesn't sort of say, oh, I've already done it. No one's going to take a beginning improv class and say, oh, I've already done that and not do it anymore. More improv is more improv. Mm -hmm. And so it, it helps with that feeling of abundance rather than scarcity, which is such mm -hmm. a core principle. I, I have heard her say that same thing. The more improv there is, the more improv there is. Like that's it's an it's a boundless supply. We don't need to get greedy about it. We don't need to be anxious about it. And it has helped me. It's this. It feels like a physical release. Like mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't need to get wound up about that. And yeah. it's sort of lovely to think about that in other contexts exactly. as well. Sort of like mm -hmm. oh, I can choose to be uptight about not getting mine. Or not, <laughs> or trust that there's sort of that this is not yeah. a zero sum game. Right. That the more improv there is over here means the less there is, over, you know, yeah. on my side of the fence. It's like not, it's just not true. We can all be in the game together. I did a job for Visa years ago and uh, doing sort of it wasn't exactly improv, but there's some creativity and presentation skills and that kind of thing. And I was talking to the manager in that group, and the question I had for him was about like I was I've always been confused about like I'll get an I'll get an ad for like a, a, a promo for like a credit card, like a, a, a visa card, and, I, and then I filled it out and I ended up getting a MasterCard. Like I, or like what, like I don't know the difference between Visa and MasterCard. Like there's no, there's no, I was like, what's going on? Like why is there, it seems like you guys would be competitors. And he's like, we're not really, we're competing against cash. Like just the more people use credit, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And I was like, oh, it's kind of the same totally. thing. Mm -hmm. There's not mm -hmm. like more, more is more. Yeah. So I will play devil's advocate here because I, I think Rebecca's mantra is true and I try to challenge myself to feel generous that way. And I think there are certain flavors that stand out or that certain songs resonate more for certain people of us. So those of us who come from Patricia's lineage, I would describe her flavor of improv as influenced by Eastern Yes. religious traditions, right? right? She spent time in Japan, studied Buddhism, practiced Buddhism, constructive living. Yep. And so her take on improv is a, is really focused on the experience of being in the present moment and releasing attachment. It's got those themes to it. I, what if would you choose what would you name as your flavor? Like if if her flavor of improv tea is mm. oh, there's aromas of, mm. you know, what Eastern philosophy in there? What, what's what's Dan Klein oh. flavor? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I <laughs> see right. you. That's where you come from. I got you. <laughs> um, this wasn't on the list of prepared <laughs> no questions. By the way, I didn't get the list of prepared questions. <laughs> gotcha. Guys, oh, weird. That's okay. I have some. I prepared some for you guys. Um, <laughs> the uh, okay. I think that the. Um, yeah, because it definitely has a Patricia flavor, and it has a and it has a, a bats flavor, whatever that is. Those are my those are those are the those are the kitchens that I that I grew up in. In a mm -hmm. sense, I did improv at Stanford, and then I, I did improv in San Francisco with bats improv. Um, and I think that the the part that appeals to me the most is the 
Um, there's a holistic, supportive community aspect that I think it came directly from Patricia. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, there is a performative like engage and enroll and and invite the audience that comes from comes from bats, which is which is sort of I, I, Patricia's training is great for the stage, but she even just this week she was saying, yeah, I'm not I, like I bring in other people to teach how to put on the full show, how to go deep into into performance. So there's that bats. There's that bat's angle, and then I think my the piece that probably intrigues me the most is around the game of creating worlds together. The, the, mm. I, that, the idea of a collective imagination that gets that gets evoked from doing this practice. I think the first the first improv shows that I saw, which honestly the very first one could live one I think Ted was in which was in a dorm in Stanford before I even knew this was a thing uh, and my jaw dropped to the ground thinking how is this possible you guys were just up you got a suggestion from the audience didn't think twice and just embraced it oh. fully and I thought how is that you, you haven't you haven't edited or censored or there's no you haven't checked anything you're gonna say before you said it mm-hmm. and it was stunning but that like how is it possible is was the first thing I was struck by, and I'm still kind of struck by that. Like mm-hmm. part of my my whole career has been trying to figure out how is this possible? Mm-hmm. How can people get up on stage not knowing what is about to happen, and be there and discover it together? Mm-hmm. And honestly, m- m- the greatest moments for me on, on stage, actually, I, as a as a student, when we were required to go see improv shows at Bats, I volunteered to. Be on a, in a, actually, Rafe Chase was doing a scene, some some fantastical space opera scene, and he and he said he indicated that there was a whole crowd um, watching sort of this thing, and and made a gesture to the audience, and 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 I, having been in an improv class, I was like, oh, say yes, and I went with like a bunch of other people onto the stage, so cool. and I realized I have the best seat in the house for this amazing this amazing scene and I'm in it like I'm watching mm-hmm. I'm watching this person do a dramatic speech as the person they're doing it to not the viewer outside of it mm-hmm. how incredible how incredible um, so I'm just trying to recreate that like trying to discover how is that how is it even possible okay so I if I remember correctly you are a fan of like live action role playing games is that yeah I do right? I'm a real yeah yep. so so does that predate improv? Kind or of. Does it come out of improv? It really does kind of predate improv. In That's a way, so cool. in a way, my okay. So I've actually I talked about it a lot um, for whatever reason. The diff, some of the different workshops I've done, it, it's come up as I invite people to talk about how they used to play when they were kids. What was the what was their play style? There's a there's a nice book by Dr. Stuart Brown about play. Mm. I kind of draw from from his his inspiration about different people have different play histories mm-hmm. um, and mine when I when I when I do the exercise myself I think about these moments as a kid um, uh, in, you know in, in elementary school and junior high playing Dungeons and Dragons like my mm. friend my my friend's older brother showed us this game in the 80s in the in the in the mid 80s I thought wow what is this how is this possible and I got really interested in it and I, and I, as a dungeon master, like the idea of creating a world, 
I remember sitting with the graph paper and like mm-hmm. as I draw it, the, the 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 rooms would emerge and the concepts mm. would emerge and I and like these butterflies in my stomach as like a eleven year old were um, that's what I remember. But I probably spent a total of as a kid a total of maybe forty hours at playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was not. It was mm. I, I went into hobby stores. I looked for. I, I wanted to collect the books. I wanted to collect all the stuff. But actually playing. I got into junior high and got a whiff of the fact that it might be uncool mm. and abandoned it mm. for decades. Wow. But then I talked about it for years before I got connected with some other lecturers here at Stanford who play. Huh. Actually, one in particular who has been playing since that time. He also started as a kid, mm-hmm. but he's been playing since that time, is a brilliant dungeon master. Uh, Andrew Todd Hunter, maybe a good interview for your podcast. Cool. Actually, maybe a really good interview. Interesting. Um, brilliant dungeon master uh, who start a few years ago started up a campaign that we that we joined. I literally hadn't touched it for thirty years. I just wow. been talking about it. Wow, cool. We haven't yet had a dungeon master on the podcast. No. <laughs> well, I am but now. <laughs> I, I, I actually during the pandemic, I reached out to a few of my college friends. And discovered these are the guys I lived with, I played with, I created shows and theater and performance. I did. I worked at summer camps no with idea. them. The and we didn't know. We never talked about D and D. They all had played it as kids and all abandoned it because it wasn't cool. Wow! But it was it was rekindling this thing. So I've done it a little bit. More now it's that. like cool again. It's super cool. It's super cool now. Like it's everywhere, and the cool yeah. kids are playing. Yeah. It. I mean, I was even. I avoided, I was quite careful not to mention it to my students. And then I started to notice that they were, they were kind of picking up on little hints of it and that they were kind of interested. I, what I, I mentioned a student, I said, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? No, but I really want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was like this longing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, I actually started mentioning it in corporate workshops. And, and I've found people coming up to me after, after those say, oh yeah, I used to, I used to play. So cool. It's Someone, like a family. A it's C- like a little a, a family. CEO of a of a of a of a company came up to me after he said, "Here's my theory: is that all the all of the great tech entrepreneurs played D and D were dungeon masters. Like that's mm. the learning mm. that they needed to orchestrate these mm-hmm. these creative uh, endeavors." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love hearing how that how that thread comes through for you. So you know, Patricia's idea of of building a community, and then your thing about from bats about creating a performance and an experience with an audience, but then here's this thread that's just you coming into the mix yeah. and now, okay, this is Dan Clyde Improv, has this, oh, we're creating worlds together. We're creating yeah. worlds. A sense of magic. And, and I love, I have to say, I love game mechanics. Mm. Like, that's one of the things I'm really interested in. Like, all the, there's an explosion of, in, the, in the board game, tabletop board game world, and I'm fascinated by it. I, I have a lot of games that are still in their wrapper because I I just I want to get them, but then I, I don't actually play them. I'm just interested in the in the various mechanics and the because I want. You wanna, mean like the setup and the rules? Yeah, and like how the rules. Like oh, here the... this is a this is a cooperative game where everyone wins together. Oh, this is a this is where you do a turn taking or you create an economy here. Or you mm. build an engine. Like there's these. The, oh, it's a it's a hidden role game where you don't know one one of the things and it's cooperative then competitive or whatever. I love all that, and and I. It's probably one of the things that has drew me to improv early on. Mm-hmm. American improv, in particular, is is 
pretty game oriented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the first thing that I was captivated by. I was like, oh, you have a verbal restriction. Oh, what if we do another verbal? Re- oh, what if we put this on mm. top of that? Johnstone was great. I mean, it was helpful because he was like, don't just make up games for the sake of a game. Like, there's a principle, and then the game is there to reveal. Like, the principle is we think about our words too much, so let's let's limit the number of words you can say. Like, that's the principle. Yeah. It's not just to be a gimmick. But I, that really is what drew me uh, into this field in some playing ways. with the rules. Yeah, playing with the rules. Mm-hmm. Playing the inside those rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I know, because you and I work closely together, and I'm teaching improv and storytelling here at Stanford, that you do all sorts of things. Tra- improv training in corporate settings and professional settings and team building and communication and coaching and all, like all sorts of things. What is your endeavor currently that feels like it captures that mm. play the most? Or like what are, what are you most excited about? Or, or what would you like to be on your plate right now that sort of like... Where does that play get get um, satisfied? That that kind of thing. I'm, I I am literally I have a I have an amazing uh, teaching partner Melissa Jones Briggs um, who teaches with me in the business school. Uh, we teach uh, acting with power, but we also do a lot of uh, corporate workshops like like you and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, one thing we're building right now is a uh, is a program um, that involves like learning quests so it has the opportunity to bring in all of these tools and dynamics i mean i want to make sure it isn't cheesy or or awkward because i do love i love being in the room i love i love the 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 interactive performance part of having a group and and taking them through an adventure live and in the moment Mm -hmm. um and we want to set up a in a sense set up a program where we maybe kick it off with live stuff and then send them uh, we have uh, uh, we have learning quests that they can do maybe they're watching a video or reading an article or or sort of solving a challenge making a connection unlocking other opportunities mm. and then they can literally go on an adventure i mean as much as i can like that's the closest to literal like being a dungeon master mm-hmm. <laughs> and creating a world i mean that's the the metaphor works almost too well for me in a sense like i i think there's some different there's some different um they talk about uh, different modalities for 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 being a game master one of them would be creating a uh uh on rails like a, a like where you have a you have a story and you're and you're basically sending people down the exact mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. or and maybe there's a, a bender too a bender they have too a choice maybe there's an option but you're probably going to bring it back whichever one they go they're going to come back to the end right. mm-hmm. there's a grand plan exactly yeah. which we know like improv training gets you to not do that right. like don't know where it's going to end up the other the the variation of that is the sandbox where you have just an open world and see where they want to play yeah. which can be quite fun and also kind of scary so usually it's a co- we have a combination and i feel like as a as an uh, instructor a lot of times i'm in a it's a railroad i, I like i know where i want to go maybe there are different ways to get there yeah. but it's also pretty fun to imagine the sandbox learning mm-hmm. like the idea of setting up a situation and then i get to learn as much from the students yep. and the path that we take as as they're learning i'm hoping yeah um you get to be surprised i get to be surprised which is really the the, the you know i saw sometimes i tell this story i saw johnstone keith johnstone teaching a live workshop and uh in san francisco and 
someone was uh, an improviser was up on stage and he and he told them to do something and she stopped and said no no um, no you're not supposed to block you're supposed to accept offers she like rejected the side coaching note that Keith Johnson and there was a little gap like a gasp in the room like, it's, ball, it's ballsy oh, how did you you said no to, to, to Keith suggested and Keith said I don't know why you would say no to this um, but this is what surprised me he said I I'm not saying that I know the right answer. The only reason I come to the theater is because I still have something to learn. But why not just try it? Why argue about it? Let's just try it and find out. And that concept, the idea that Keith Johnstone is literally coming to the theater teaching classes because he still has things to learn, it opened up the whole, like the whole rest of my life in a sense mm. to say, I, you're never going to be done, and that's and it's going to keep you coming back. Mm -hmm. So that's the exciting thing. Like every, we love it when we're doing a workshop and something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. There's a, yeah, I think that that for me sort of is also a challenge because when you find yourself doing stuff, yeah, you're like, yeah, I know. I know how to teach. I, I get this. I know what the lessons are here. I get the, how to teach this. It's time to sort of figure out a way to be fresh about it. Take yeah. a risk you haven't tried yet. Yeah. B strike out into the unknown. Find the unknown in what you're in what you're doing, even if you've done it a million times. Yeah. Try something that you don't yeah. know if it's going to succeed or not. And that's the that's a really powerful yeah. sort of a mandate. Also, right. right is like don't go back here unless there's something that you're not sure about. Don't don't keep doing this unless yeah. there's an element of the unknown. And I feel like so much of our, and maybe this is a good segue, so much of our, uh, as adults, we're sort of trying to pin things down, I think, yeah. right? Like in, in sure. college, I'm so aware of how, how sort of open and exploratory the time mm -hmm. is, and then you leave and you get a job and you do and you do the things and you and you nail yeah. it down and you figure out what you're good at and you do the you know you do those things, and you sort of stop courting the unknown or the things that may hold something fresh mm -hmm. for you. And that's a that's just a fun thing to be like, are there things I don't know yet? Yeah, there must be. So yeah, seek those. What are the questions here? What what might fail? What what am I going to learn? I'm thinking about this too. As you know, we we get older. I get older. People in my older generations are getting sick or passing away. Mm -hmm. Or like, I do feel like I'm kind of closing back in. I'm not. I'm not in this wide open. What could I possibly do? Like, no, this is kind of my thing. I'm going to choose this as my thing. I finally kind of feel like I'm. I've yeah. got some of that. Yeah. And yet. I'm trying to clear out some of these old popular. Like, I don't really think I'm going to teach religious studies again, as religious studies. I can let go of those books mm -hmm. that are sitting in my basement storage mm -hmm. in case I need to use this reference mm -hmm. to Islam. I'm probably not going to do that, so I can let that go. And yet, that echo is still going to be mm -hmm. in whatever I yeah. choose to come with next. Yeah, you should probably still hold on to that book. I mean, it's not—it's not taking up that much space. Like, <laughs> It's, so, it's a big tome. Even when, you, when, even when you describe it, I still feel this like, oh no, yeah, but what if you yeah, do need I it? Know. Like, I know the folders from like the astrology class that I took when I was 18 <laughs> years old that was so you incredible. might need, I might need that one connection oh between Mars and Mercury. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So I, because we don't have a ton of time, I do want to 
and this is a podcast. A Ostent- curious romp through the Ostent- world's a mindfulness and improvisation. Ostensibly oh. about, but yeah, so then we should have told you that at the beginning. Oh, that's, that's an, no, that's an <laughs> pre-prepared questions. Oh. And yet, so much of what you've been saying fits naturally in that, that realm. But I'm curious if you have any exposure to mindfulness or meditation, or if that is part of your, if you have a practice of that sort, or what you know of mindfulness, how does that merge with improv and Oh, oh, just riff, Dan. Okay. All right. Yeah. I am curious to know if you have any sort of practice that you you use to I do have a practice. It's not not a um, uh, rope. Well, uh, why am I trying to qualify qualify this? I was going to say it's not a robust practice. I try to uh, meditate every morning. Mm. I have a little bench and I have a a timer and, uh, and, uh, and I'm sitting at seven minutes mm-hmm. I do a seven minute uh, mindfulness uh, practice where um, I'm spending most of that time trying to um, bring my attention back to my breath mm. and always curious and interested where it where it wanders and uh, and you know in, within seven minutes I'm almost tracking like how many times it wanders and how how, how many times I can bring it back to my breath and then I take my blood pressure Afterwards, and mm. I honestly the the um, I had a uh, I had a health stare, scare a few months ago, um, which I, I'd already been trying to do the put some meditation in and enjoying it and liking it, but still, you know, the restless, hard to hard to imagine committing even in the you know seven minutes. Like, do I have time to do this right. before before I get on the road? But the health scare sort of gave me a, an extra little impetus. Mm-hmm. I said, you know. To, to reduce inflammation and I was like oh yeah good enough I'll take that as the as the as, as the prompt as the reason to do it I mean I enjoy it there's this moment where I where I sit down and I start to breathe and I feel a, a pleasurable sensation in the core of my body that I mm. that I recognize like, wow why don't I why don't I go for this all the time and then I come back to the breath <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a uh, some every once in a while I use an app that gives me a guided meditation, but mostly I'm uh, these days I'm doing it without that. Hmm. And what I'm I'm also trying to trying to manage stressful situations in my life. The the things are busy these days. Mm-hmm. Things things have have gotten more and more hectic. I feel like I'm spending more of my a high percentage of my time doing things I absolutely love doing and the challenge is fitting it all in so mm-hmm. it gets so it can get pretty hectic and so it's useful to have that touch that touchstone that um, that memory that a couple of breaths with attention to the breath does change my so change you, my state do you bring that in like during your day so like if you start to feel a little bit yeah you know I, I and I and I I'm sensitive to the fact that I may not like tension, like that that stress. It may not, I may not have full conscious awareness of it. Mm-hmm. It may be creeping up without me even realizing. I won't even know it until I hear from, say, from my wife that I uh, that my tone has changed. Oh, that's her. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, and so I think that there's 
When I was in college, I was in a car accident and I had a head injury. I was in a coma for about five days. It's one of the organizing moments of my mm. of my life. That would make it in your, the musical of Dan. That's the yeah. That or, might be the opening. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it it is in the TV movie about my life, um, where uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie plays my mom. This is literally true. Do you know that? On the uh, it's a Lifetime. It's on the Lifetime. Oh, really? channel. There called, is a TV it's called movie a Mother's about... Fight for Justice, or it's also called Crash Course. Oh wow! I'm in it. I have a small Aaron Brockovich walk-on part as the district attorney um, a couple decades ago and the uh, but one of the things I know from the head injury is you can't just do like a self inventory and say what's going on like you're not necessarily the most you you're not the most accurate um, uh, uh, observer of uh, of what's happening is that a you. reliable narrator that's right yeah and and I'm and and I have that awareness around stress for example and know that that the mindfulness practice will give me a little bit more uh, uh, attention to it uh, mm. part of me is uh, like over the years I sort of avoided doing it because I kind of like well I'm kind of a calm guy I don't need it mm. um, but I actually feel like it's of great value I mean uh, I'm not stressed <laughs> what do you mean I'm stressed do you you meditate uh, I have been out of practice for quite some time mm. in terms of formal sitting meditation. Mm. I miss it when I do it regularly. It totally changes my experience. Lately, I've been swimming a lot. Oh, that's my. And favorite. so that thirty-five minutes, forty yeah. minutes of the sounds of the water and watching the lane pass underneath yeah. me and the sunshine, you know, as I turn my head oh, to breathe, all, all that is the best. amazing. And then I have the physical, yeah, cardiac yeah. support. Yeah, you know. So that, that that's been my practice lately. I just because I now have an ear infection. I just got word yesterday that I can't swim for the next week, and I felt this pain when yeah. the doctor told me that. I'm like, no, it. you can't do that. <gasps> I get it. I'm like, I okay, need that. Maybe I'll go back to sitting. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because uh, I, I need something. I've Run, come to rely on. Running works too, I found, in the same way. I didn't think I, it, I would like it that way, but I actually also love it like I love swimming. It's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. it's, it's The world changes around you in a different way, mm -hmm. but you can still get that same, same, like, Full body engagement mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it is real attention to breath. Yeah. 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 Yep. Do you have a practice? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. Not currently. And I think the thing that would be helpful about it for me right now is that most of my attention is going to the needs of other people. Right. Because I have a kid. So it's like I'm at work, I'm delivering, I'm like paying attention to the people who I'm holding space for in a teaching capacity. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm taking care of business. I get home, yeah. I'm figuring out dinner, all the logistics, yeah. and yeah. figuring out what comes next. But there's very little time that I just pay attention to my own body. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be really good. Well, your, your answer makes me think about the way that, you know, mindfulness doesn't have to equal meditation. And so it's like, Right. You know, you can. I, I think you do have a mindfulness practice of a sort, and the sort of paying attention to other people, like right. bringing you back to the present moment. What does Ramona need right yeah, now? Yeah, incredibly you know, present. And and what does my class need? So, th there's an element that yeah. that is a mindfulness practice, and yet at yeah. the same time, totally. what you're saying is totally real. Like, what about having a dedicated, quiet, formal space where I'm tuning into what's going on in my what's life? What's going on here? Because yeah. all of that is external and can sort of 
yeah. I can yeah. it can feel like spinning plates out yeah. there. I'm very good at spinning them. That yeah. does take mindfulness, but it's it's a different yeah. thing. I will say my partner is a slower paced human being than I am. He mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. he is just very good. It, like he considers it an activity to like drink coffee in the sun. Oh yeah. Like this is it what I'm doing. Good. And so he he walks slower than me. And so when we walk to drop Ramona off at daycare, we just walk yeah. slowly. Yeah. Right. And I don't ever want to miss those walks. Like, I yeah. love that walk. Right. It's about a mile, just, oh, that, just nice. less than a mile. So we just take a walk there and a walk back. We look at the things around us. We walk in silence. Yeah. But it's not a formal practice, but those are moments that feel like, yeah. oh, this is just like, it's a place I can go and be just there. I had a realization when we were just talking about this around, like one of the one of the core messages that we teach in a number of different contexts, it's great for improv training, is to say, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. To be able to put people's attention on, make your partner look good, notice what's happening in the world around you, like put your attention outside of yourself, that that ego-driven, how do I look, what's what's going on. What am I doing? Is, is yeah. uh, is a trap, and and I think it's incredibly powerful in all of the, in in all of these contexts to put your attention on someone else. And what you just described, that's also like you can over-index in not putting any attention on yourself, and then be able to do it in a way that's not necessarily ego-driven. Right. It actually does serve other people for you not to be in a in a, a wound-up state. Yeah, I think that I I was just thinking about this as we were talking that the that the practice of it is that you are making choices with your attention. That that's the like, skill. Yeah. As a mindfulness practice. Yeah. 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 This, the skill is that you're making choices with your attention so that when you are in the world, you can choose what you're attending to. And so in the moment, I think I'm very good at sinking into a moment and attending to what this moment needs. Right. And I'm not as good at, at attending to what I need, which is why I like forget to eat all the time. And yeah. you know, things like that. I just like don't, right. I don't check in. So, so, that feels like the skill. That's the skill. It's like mm-hmm. what yeah. what needs my attention and being able to to put other things in the background while yeah. you're attending to this. This is we in so many of our episodes, Dana. We've come to a paradox of like this. You know, take care of other people, and right. again, it's not about you. And take care of yourself, right. both at the same time. Right. Right. As we get to these balancing elements, and I'm reminded of something we've talked about earlier in an episode on presence uh, about Patsy Rodenberg's three circles yeah. of awareness and first circle being too turned in on itself mm-hmm. a third circle being too bold and brash and imposing second circle being this middle ground of balance and receptivity but as I've been teaching this course this term about second circle presence I keep coming back to with my students and, and their voice like you get your fair share. You you get mm-hmm. to speak, right. and it's good to listen. Right. But that notion of what's what's your fair share? So I'm thinking with you, Lisa, like what's what's the appropriate fair share for you to put attention on yourself? Yeah. And to tune into that, and like, yeah, you get to belong, and good. Uh, other people do too. Yeah. And so, like, thinking of the the quests with your students at the business right. school, like, okay, what are you drawn to when you go out into the world? But then also let the world surprise you. Yeah. Give it, give the world its fair share of input into what yeah. you're doing. Into like, what's going on, right. right. So it's like finding the balance between making space and taking space. Yeah. Right? Nice. Like we get to take space, we get to make space, and and if we're all doing that 
together. Like it requires all of us to commit to making and taking space yeah. so that we all get to be a part of whatever we're building. Mm-hmm. Which comes back to the, where we started with you and sort of creating worlds together on stage exactly. and the delight of that. Like exactly. that's my favorite part of improv is, oh my God, I'll just give a little bit and see what you do with it. And then, oh my God, it goes somewhere I didn't expect and now I get to be in this show and surprised by this show, in the story and surprised by the story. This is so cool. When we had this Stanford Improvisers got together last weekend, you mentioned that, Dan. I was surprised at how intimidated I felt. I know. I was like, I want to get on stage because I love it performing, but I'm not good. I can't do this. And afterwards, I realized, I told Lisa this, like in performances, if Lisa's there with me, I feel like I can do anything. Mm. If I'm on stage with her, because you're going to give me something interesting, and all I have to do is respond, and it's going to go somewhere. And then I thought after I, I realized my security blanket wasn't there with Lisa, I was like, I could have done that with Dan. Yeah. <laughs> if I had put you put my hand yeah. on you and said, Dan, let's go up, I would have been like, That's oh. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm fine. And I guess the mindset is away. to cultivate that mindset with anybody. That's I, right. Right? right? So right. that you that go up a, and, I mean, yeah. I was going to comment on this when we were thinking about that too. That the amazing thing watching the at the reunion was there were people who it was every five years, so there were people who had never improvised with each other. With a sh- all, they all knew the same song. Yep. They could all dance, mm. maybe yep. different styles. There actually was a lot of dancing, <laughs> and it was riveting and fascinating to see them sort of have that exchange with each other across those mm-hmm. generations. And I, I, I felt the same way. Like I saw Patricia go sit down. I was like, oh, I better go sit with Patricia and. And enjoy watching, which is what I did. Yeah, I also have the same sense. Lisa and I haven't spent much. We've spent a lot of time in in front of classrooms and and workshops and groups, and not as much on stage. Yeah. We were scheduled to be on stage a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and uh, and uh, because it's the modern era, uh, things got in the way, and I yeah. found myself on stage without Lisa, and it was fine. A lot of good partners, and uh, but it wasn't what I was imagining. I know. It was, it was the biggest <laughs> bummer. Oh, yeah. man. I was yeah. so sad about that. Yeah. Well, we know you need to take off, and it's been a delight to have you here. But yeah. I want to offer a little window. Anything else you want to share with us or our listeners? And, you know, something, something else that's on your mind or intriguing or... Well, the, uh, the other question I had prepared for you guys is um, who is the best, uh, up until me, who is the best interview you've had so far? Ooh. <laughs> which yeah. one? Which is the top one? That's a great question. Um, until today. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for ne- a next episode. We'll answer I, that question. Because <laughs> it's, because you, um, uh, I think Lisa, Lisa's the best yeah. podcast partner I've had yeah. on, Let, the, on um, the podcast. Just, for the listeners, just I want you to note, he's looking at me while he says that. He's not <laughs> looking at, he is not looking at Lisa. He hasn't made eye contact with her the whole entire time. It's just really weird. It's, it's so fun. And all of you guys out there listening, if you ever want to do a fun podcast, come come do Monster Baby. Yeah. It, is a, it is a pleasure and a delight. Yay. Yeah. Oh, thanks, yeah. Dan. No, it's thanks great to have you. It's, it's, uh, as I said, we've been Ideating, as we yeah. say. Uh, it's so funny. You're the most world. obvious choice to have a podcast, <laughs> and you've been there. You're taking the lo- longest to get here. So thanks for joining yeah, us. So 102. Pleasure. Glad you can make it. My yeah, guess my is pleasure. that it's not the last time. I'm, I'm sure I'll be guest hosting in the future. And I'm, so when that yeah, happens, great. We'll keep it. Oh, thanks, you guys. Yeah. I love it. I love what you what you create in the world, and thanks for doing it. Yeah. Thank you, Dan.
so easy to talk with him. I know, I know. And, and I, I loved how uh, there's a way, the, the way that Dan does improv and teaches improv and thinks about improv, it so naturally aligns with what we're about here, like mm-hmm. what, what the podcast is about. I, I'm, I would put that on Patricia's influence because right? totally. we're all coming out of that lineage. It's I, just those go together so easily. Yeah, there is a there is a quality with which she taught that made it a mission for us to stay engaged in it, mm-hmm. right? That like captures people on a deep level, on a more than like, oh, this is a, this is a fun activity level, right. but like on a deep, yeah. oh, I'm I'm. I'm drawn to continue engaging in this yes. level. And so, and he's so good at articulating what that is and, and finding the pieces of it that really speak and, you know, so. Right. I was glad that I thought to ask that question about what's his flavor of improv tea. Yeah. I haven't heard him talk about that before, but it, now it, it makes sense because I see that in his work. Totally. So I love those, those three elements he brought into. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious about where this how this live action role plays that is going to play out in the future I love it. I know. That, I know. That it's so it's so cool. Just the sort of the the goal of injecting play and discovery into mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. Which should be that's what school should feel like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, when, you know, yeah. When I was in divinity school, I took a class on expeditionary learning. I forget what group it came out of the National Upper Leadership School or Outward Bound. It came out of Outward Bound, mm. I think. But folks who had, had built their their way of being, their way of teaching about going out to the world, into nature, and mm. having these adventure experiences with uncertainty and challenge and all that, and then how can we make all the learning like that? And so that's, I want to come take one of Dan's classes, or I want to come help him teach one, or you know, yeah. design my own, or yeah. something. So, right on. Thanks, Dan Klein. He also, there's also like something that he like, he like designs these awesome things with this levity, this like, oh, this would be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of this, this flavor or, or air of, of curiosity and confidence. Mm-hmm. I love my, let's try. Yeah. You know, which yeah. I, which I love because I can get kind of uptight about stuff when it get, feels high stakes. Right. You know? Right. Well, and I, and reminded that when we have partners who can support us, when we're when we our energy drops and they can lift us up or they can challenge us or inspire us, it's like oh yeah we can do this. We so can do great! This. It's so. so it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Life has just made so much easier with right. good partners. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm glad we could have him with us. Nice yep. to get together with you again. It's been a, a short while. I know. Uh, anything you want to tell our listeners or? I'm, I'm performing again, so you can head to lisaroland.com to find out when, but I've got some dates at BATS. I've got some stuff with Improv Playhouse down in the Mission in San Francisco. So if you're local, there's some of that going on. Right and on. I think that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, and I've been teaching some classes, some through Stanford Continuing Studies, uh, some of my own, but those have mostly been in person as well. But come to playfulmindfulness.com and check out the classes and offerings there. We are getting towards holiday season. If you want a copy of Playful Mindfulness, the book. For a loved one. Based on our podcast. Still makes a great gift. Yeah. But, uh, you know, really glad that you're listening in, folks. And nice to be back with you. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.